Think Business Futures is recorded in the studios of 2SER. 2SER is located on the lands of the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. We'd like to pay our respects to their elders, past and present, and also to all Aboriginal Torres Strait Island people that are listening to our show. Welcome to Think Business Futures. My name is David Brown, Associate Dean External Engagement in the UTS Business School. And I'm Nicole Sutton, Lecturer in Accounting at the UTS Business School. As part of Indigenous Business Month, the UTS Business School and Jambana Institute for Indigenous Education and Research hosted a panel event called UTS Women Mean Business. The panel featured three Indigenous businesswomen who discussed and reflected on their experiences working in and founding their own commercial organisations. Let's now go to the event and hear from Josephine Cashman, founder and director of Big River Consulting. I'd had uh, at least 10 years working in as a court lawyer um, in two jurisdictions, New South Wales and Northern Territory, um, and I'd been a defence and prosecution, on the prosecution side rather, and my last stint was in Arnhem Land for two and a half years where I was the senior solicitor of the Bush Court Circuit, which takes in most of East Arnhem Land. And uh, it was there profoundly hit me that I was just a process server and the, the underlying um, structures in the economy were driving criminality in a sense and unless we address those, there's no point. And uh, I was lucky enough to go to the US for a while and I went to two conferences and I was invited back by very uh, sort of influential Indian economic leaders and I went to a conference in Las Vegas and... Uh, Fun place for a conference. Yeah, and actually the person who convinced me to go into business was the COO of a company called Nana and he was a former Attorney General of Alaska and also a Vietnam vet and loved Australians, so I was very lucky. And also what I observed in the... and getting to know many leaders in the Indian economic area, or the First Nations rather, that there was a different sense of ownership and agency, which I hadn't seen in Australia. And it realised... and, you know, being the former Attorney General of Alaska, he he explained to me that um, as a lawyer you're a process server in the economy. And if you really want to create change, you need to sort of sit within the economy because business is the driver. In Alaska, because of their uh, um, arrangements around getting the pipeline through Alaska and going through Indian country where they have sovereignty, they had to, as part of the negotiations for that pipeline to go through and for it to come under the Uniform Commercial Code, they had to actually negotiate a deal where the US government ceded 13 regional Indian corporations, which when I was working with them, because I ultimately got a retainer, that was my first retainer for 12 months, when I was working with them, combined they turned over $9 billion and they had a parent company that looked after the culture and their people and people who wanted to have a traditional lifestyle. And for me, that was the ultimate independence. And I'd seen and grown up in Aboriginal affairs. I was protesting at the Old Parliament House when I was quite young for land rights and I'd seen the anger in our communities and sometimes the sort of 
lateral violence that comes from that when, you know, um, disadvantage is pit against each other in our economy, and I do believe that, and that it was sort of a different level when I met with the Indian groups and they had a table where all the billion dollar businesses sat at and did strategy and in DC they had their own lobbyists. That was sort of like, I th even whatever you think about how our economy works or the structural imbalances, that's where it's at. And a lot of our debates in Australia are so um, sort of divided around ideologies but rather I'm more interested in seeing action and real sort of independence and agency and people being able to retain culture rather than sort of becoming dependent and angry. That's such an interesting take on it. Brooke Boney, ABC journalist. Because so often when people talk about um, like traditional lifestyles or economic development, they're seen as you know, polar opposites and not something that can coexist. So it's incredible that you've had that experience where you know, you've seen it sort of happen. Yeah, well, I think, unfortunately, because, you know, when you look at the charity sector in Australia, and actually I feel like I've had a... Um, I'm doing my PhD in the business school now, and I feel like I've had an intellectual rebirth, actually, understanding how irrational our institutions are, etc. But when you look at the charity sector and all the debates going on in Australia around, like, the, the rise of the far right and... Um, and sort of those debates around disadvantage fighting each other, it's really a lack of resources that drives that rather than, you know, and Aboriginal affairs, unfortunately, I feel like it's being too caught up and too used by the far right and the far left. And really the people who suffer are the Aboriginal people because the ideology stops progress. But if you look at, you know, even there are, there is a lot of disadvantage with in our economy and unfortunately those people who don't, who see Aboriginal people getting more resources will say, well, what about us? Where, and, that, and that sort of creates the tension which, you know, undermines progress in my view and I, I feel like business can stay out of that where the other spheres, you know, are actually pulled into it. If that, it's quite a, you know, it's something I'm trying to unpack at the moment. So. Yeah quite complicated yeah I noticed a similar thing when I was down in Canberra reporting that you know uh, you sort of get frustrated by the ideology and you just want some like evidence-based policy but we'll come back to that Barbie um tell us a little bit about your journey from Bree to university and what motivated you to take the step um well for starters um when I graduated high school there was only six of us in my class that's Barbie Lee Kirby Manager of Corporate Governance at Qantas. And about three of us went on to university and that was particularly because of the help of our biology teacher. She sat us down and said, here, have a look at the UAC book. It wasn't our careers teacher, it was our biology teacher. I know how bizarre that might sound. Our career excursion actually involved a trip to Dubbo, which is the four-hour drive. We went to the, uh, I think it was the TAFE there, and they have hairdressing courses um, other beauty courses and the shearing school. We popped by the shearing school. So they were, those were our career choices um, coming from Brewarrina. Uh, but if it wasn't for my biology teacher, I don't think I would have even considered university. She kind of told us a bit about UTS and the scholarships to get into UTS and we went for it. 
I didn't apply for any other university, um, and nor did my twin brother, but we both got into UTS. Um, he is graduating with a Bachelor of Business and a Bachelor of Engineering, and so very proud of him. <laughs> Finally, he got there. But in terms of how I got to, like, you know, started my journey through UTS, um, it was pretty much by chance. And I think it's a sad, sad reality that these things do happen all too often by chance, particularly in a remote community in northwest New South Wales. This isn't in a remote community in the Northern Territory. This is in New South Wales, four hours from Dubbo. And I believe, I don't think there is a student from Brewarrina since I graduated high school that went on to university, which is, which is very, very unfortunate. So... No, that's it. Thank you very much for sharing. So I had no idea about business. So I chose business because my brother said, I, had a, I have an old, I have four older brothers actually. My older brother said, go into business because it could take you anywhere. I was like, okay, all right. I pictured myself working in an office. I don't know what I was doing in that office, but I pictured myself working in an office, <laughs> probably in front of a computer. So I came to university and my first subjects were accounting and finance and all these other, you know, subjects that I did not think that business involved. Um, and David Bond down the back here was one of my lecturers in accounting. And I actually failed his class twice, I believe. <laughs> <laughs> and if it wasn't for people like David, and I want to take this opportunity to thank you, because if it wasn't for people like you to go, you know what, I see potentially new, and I'm going to help you through this, then I wouldn't be where I am today. Yeah. So, thank you. That's so lovely. I think um, one of the things that really resonates is that, you know, each one of you has sort of come up against these incredible challenges but persevered. And so you have this, like, incredible resilience. What do you think... Um, how do you develop that? Like, how does that... Is that just in you or is that something that you have to foster and, and, and build on, Mayra? Um, I think it's come from the women in my family and I think it's probably true for a lot of Aboriginal women just raised by strong black women. That's Myra Sonter, co-founder and co-director of 33 Creative. Um, and so uh, it was never a thought of my mum. Uh, was the youngest of 18, the only person that in, our, in her family that got the opportunity to have an education um, because of the age difference and the laws in this country. So it was drummed in very early that you're lucky that you get to go to school. You're lucky that you have these opportunities to live in the city and they moved to the city to give those sorts of opportunities. So it was very evident that, you know, these were the milestones you're going to have to hit and you're going to have to be better than everyone else to get noticed along the way as well. So when it came time for university, you know, UTS, best communication course in the country, that was the one I was going to because that's the expectation within our family. So that resilience is definitely inbuilt um, and I think I've attracted to lots of other strong kind of personalities along the way. So we're a little crew moving through life with, you know, lots of other resilient other women around. Other strong black women around you. <laughs> Josephine, did you, um, you know, when you sort of see your mum or your aunties or your nan or whatever, did you ever think, like, the, the same things that make them strong and able to succeed and raise successful families and children is sort of the same sort of skills that you would need to get through business? Oh, I think, I think in all... all um, female executives probably acknowledge running a business is like running a family, you know, and it's um, quite intense and you're managing quite a few different things. But I innately believe that underlying, you know, that um, resilience and, uh, you know, understanding social dynamics is 
you know, is the foundation of probably Aboriginal culture. In effect, it was, it's a very complex sort of system of um, trade and economy and a whole relationships matrix. And um, I suppose uh, there's much about my resilience and, you know, having a, a real drive around social change as well, which is actually implicit in the way the sort of complexity of, of, of Aboriginal culture, which actually, unlike our economy, has the social and environmental considerations as quite a driver. So I, I do think that, yes, there, there is that resilience from historical facts, but there's also our um, intergenerational memory, you know, from that um, way of being and, and understanding that everything is sort of interconnected, which is sustainability. And I do think that um, obviously these students as well add a lot of value also to the university because of the diversity of thought, you know. I, I am amazed when I see things around the economic benefits of diversity or sustainability um, and people are like, wow, did you know about this? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I did. Yeah, we've been doing it for a while, <laughs> like 40,000, 60,000 years. Barbie, um, I just referenced before that, you know, we were talking about how early we had woken up this morning and having to sort of get in early and stay back late and, um, you know, uh, the challenges around meeting family commitments and things. What would you say is the most difficult thing for you being involved in business and, and doing the job that you do? Not seeing family as much. That would be the difficult thing. And being able to um, give back to my people as much as I want to, you can't. You don't just have a nine-to-five job in business. Um, you have a 12-hour day in business. And, and, it's, and it's a struggle. But as Mayra and Josephine were just saying, that resilience, um, that resilience really comes through. And um, I often think of the story I've been told uh, that my mother's been telling us since we were kids. Um, so my grandmother is Linda Fernando. And she was uh, one of 14 and she was taken to Cootamundra Girls' Home. And um, from there she was brought to Sydney to work for a doctor at Rose Bay. And um, she was there up until she, I think she was 25 and she, they sent her back pregnant. I'll leave it to your imagination how and why that happened. And then when her two boys were around about three and five, they were taken away and put in the Kinchilla Boys' Home and she made the two-day trip to Sydney to get them back. And she stayed in Sydney until she fought and got them back. Now, that's resilience. When I think about resilience, that's resilience. And I hold that with me. I hold that with me all the time. So if she can do that, I can get up and do a 12-hour day. <laughs> yeah? <laughs> yeah? Sometimes I think that when I have to talk about um, farts or burps on the radio with my co-hosts who are 21... <laughs> And I think, yeah, the same thing. If my grandmother can do that, if my mother can do that, I can get on the radio and talk about farts. Yeah, I think, <laughs> I think one of the biggest assets we have as Indigenous people is that resilience. Yeah, and I think if we could use that um, to our advantage in our everyday lives, and, then so be it. I do it. Yeah. It gets me out of bed each morning. Yeah. Can we just have a round of applause for that? You're listening to Think Business Futures. To download this show, head to 2SER.com or your favourite podcast app and look for Think Business Futures. On this episode, we're featuring a panel discussion held at the UTS Business School on Indigenous Women in Business.
Here in the studio is Professor Robin Quiggan, Director of Indigenous Strategy at the UTS Business School. So welcome, Robin. Thank you. Thank you. One of the central themes from the panellists was the importance of economic empowerment of enterprise and business as a mechanism for independence for Indigenous people. Could you explain to us a little about what this means and how is it that business can facilitate self-determination? Thanks, Dave. That's a great question. And it is absolutely, self-determination is one of the key drivers for many of the Indigenous men and women who get into business. We used to run this country. This We were the people who managed the economies of this country. We managed the land. We managed the waters. We managed resources. We cared for this country for generations and generations. Colonisation was a very thorough and practical removal of us from our country, our homes and our economies. There's been lots of work through land rights legislation and native title legislation and uh, people setting up land-based economies over the years to reverse those changes. But businesses in many forms give people, give Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people an opportunity to get back in the economy, to get back in the driver's seat of their own lives. And we know that that Indigenous businesses employ Indigenous people. So we have our own people setting up enterprises in areas that they understand that they're good at, making businesses that employ uh, our own people and get us back in the driver's seat of the economy. This is, this is really interesting, and this was an ongoing theme in some of the discussions the panellists rose, uh, raised. Um, I, I recall uh, Myra Sonta, so she is the founder of 33 Creative, and she talked about um, one of the transitions that she made in creating her business, where previously she was in, in employed uh, in an organisation that had government funding, and when, that, uh, when, when the budget changed, she then had to go and go, and, and she decided to go set up her own business. So could you perhaps expand a little bit about how business, in one sense provides that opportunity for self-determination, perhaps in contrast to other models which is more reliant on government funding? Yeah. Mayra's story uh, and the story of uh, the uh, the origins of 33 Creative, uh, that's a long story that is probably, you know, something for another day. But business frees us in many ways from the uh, being tied to the ebb and flow of government funding and the you know times in government where uh, there's a lot of funding into Aboriginal organisations and times when we know and our experience has been that that funding is cut off and um, uh, initiatives that might be incredibly important to communities that have built capacity, created services um, and been incredibly effective are just cut because the funding is cut. People lose jobs out of that. People lose services out of that. People lose hope out of that. So business offers an environment that is absolutely not without risk. You know, we're out there in the economy. There is no, there's no um, guarantees out there. But it gives us an opportunity to have a go at enterprises and initiatives 
on our own terms to the extent that anybody is is able to run business on their own terms. We all have to live within the framework of business and the economy and and the ups and downs of, of that. But it does give us an opportunity to bid for government work. We might bid for government contracts, but we are not accountable to government in the same way that government-funded organisations are. That kind of speaks to a, a very interesting observation by Josephine Cashman, which is about this individual experience. And she used this term, which absolutely every it just struck a chord in the room. She talked about being a process server. So having worked, her role was to serve process. And then being in business, again, she got back to this point of perhaps being more self-determining or, or having more opportunity to make your own future. Could you talk a little bit more about that? As a lawyer myself, I think, you know, Josephine was reflecting on her time as a legal practitioner and, you know, I've um, worked as a legal practitioner myself. I think that, you know, I can't speak for her, but I imagine we went off to study law with great hope of making change or great hope of making a difference at the coalface in people's lives and also at a policy level and a law reform level and uh, practice and procedure because, you know, the legal system really impacts on our people. My, I identify with um, Josephine's story in the sense that for me, one of the limits of legal practice was that I became, felt like I'd become a bit of a cog in a wheel. Business does give you a different sense of opportunity and possibility to be able to think big and think broadly and think and challenge yourself in different ways. Again, not without boundaries, not without you know the limits of the economy and the business. There is that framework, but it does give an opportunity, an opportunity to think differently, be a bit less of a cog in a wheel, and think more broadly about and more strategically about what need is and how we can meet it. To me, the perhaps the phrase that really struck me in that discussion was uh, something was said about, you know, the problems that exist around, for instance, the charity or the kind of the non-government sector uh, and the politics around disadvantage and around resource allocation. And uh, one of the panellists said, you know, ideology stops progress. And to me, that was the thing that really resonated. Uh, and they saw that business as being, again, in one sense, a different, kind of free from that ideology. Uh, again, I'm sorry to keep pushing you on these things, but what, what's your reflection on that? I think it's it's very consistent. That di- that discourse is, and the dialogue that went on in the meeting and th- that you're picking up on is very consistent with the move away from a deficit discourse. We are often framed in terms of disadvantage, and we absolutely, absolutely. Um, live in a situation of economic disadvantage there and social disadvantage. There's no getting away from that. We still live with the injuries of colonisation. We are still making a comeback from that place, but we are making a comeback. And business seems to be providing an opportunity where people can get out on the playing field and say, I'm working on my strengths I'm coming from my strengths here. I'm coming from the things that I know. I am hardworking. I am resourceful. I can be strategic. um, And I have a service to offer or goods to offer. I can engage in this economy and I'm out there having a go at that. So it's consistent with a real strengths-based discourse. 
Not everybody will succeed. We know the statistics on business that not everybody is able to um, get out and you know run a lot uh, um, an effective business long term. But we learn a lot in the meantime. Even if you know our business doesn't last that long, we learn a lot about what we can do, and we utilise our strengths. We use we utilise our capacity. We'll often share that, as I say, by employing others, and we will build. Build, build on our capacity, our strengths and, um, and contribute to the economy. Mm. And speaking of lessons learned, um, from your vantage point, uh, what lessons can be learned about the way First Nations people in other countries have used business as a tool for self-determination? There are lots of lessons to be learned and, a lot, and some of those are particularly learned from other countries that part of the Commonwealth, as we know, others that were colonised by um, by the English. So we often look to our brothers and sisters in New Zealand, in the United States and Canada particularly, for uh, the ways that they have used their land base, their access to their land base and to their resources, because there have been similar legal processes, which have been incredibly important, legal processes to get recognition of our prior ownership, of our ongoing ownership in Australia, of the fact that we didn't cede sovereignty. So there have been important legal cases um, like Mabo in Australia um, and like the equivalents in um, in New Zealand, the United States and Canada. There have also been treaty processes in those other countries that come back to the allocation of the, the fundamentals really of the economy, land, resources, um, and how those those are allocated. Now, that's not how we see land and um, fish, my, minerals. We don't see them as just economic resources by any means. But we have undertaken substantial legal work, running cases to get our rights recognised, and then often using that as a platform for engagement in those uh, economies, but also engagement in tourism, um, lots of land-based uh, initiatives, and that's been the case. And we've learnt a lot from um, our brothers and sisters in in those other countries. Also, the um, the great opportunities that have come out of the arts and uh, using our our culture to uh, engage in the art market. Okay, so if business can facilitate self-determination and independence, both for individuals and communities, what constraints or challenges potentially limit the opportunities for Indigenous people in Australia? There are lots of challenges, um, as there are the same challenges that everybody else faces, but there are also challenges that we face in our we often don't come from families that have run businesses. So there's that kind of intergenerational knowledge that um, we don't often have um, such easy access to. We have to go away and learn that or find people who will pass that knowledge on to us. I mean, I think that's one of the places that UTS Business School is has great capacity to continue its work, uh, helping us gain gain those skills and that knowledge in, uh, in the particular areas that we want to uh, build that knowledge. Sometimes people are coming from a really uh, tough place in relation even to just ordinary uh, literacy or financial literacy skills. We can uh, maybe have disengaged from school early, not really had to engage in 
uh, in the financial system at any great depth, might have had struggled to get a job. And so we need to, you know, we kind of have to build those skills in relation to literacy, financial literacy, uh, because of the exclusion of from the economy that we have, in fact, um, experienced, you know, exclusion often from school, exclusion often from employment. So we're moving back into uh, that engagement with literacy and financial literacy. I think once people get up and running, often, uh, you know, People might start with a small business, start with an entrepreneurial idea, building that. And there are um, other universities. The, the Melbourne University runs the Murrah Program. And, um, you know, there are a couple of places in Indigenous Business Australia often will support people to develop um, a business idea. Some of the challenges I think that lots of people face are scale. There are policies um, in- introduced for the by the government to encourage Indigenous business, but you have to be at a particular scale to really take advantage of that. So getting up from the startup to the very small business to the you know the sole trader up to a kind of scale of business where you can actually uh, be a provider, supplier in those Indigenous, in that bit larger Indigenous business space, there's some of the challenges, you know, really, you know, kind of getting up to scale that you can um, remain stable, sustainable and take advantage of opportunities. So Robin, when you started, you made a really interesting observation, which is kind of obvious once you've said it. And that is that for many generations, Indigenous people were the participants in the economy in Australia, were the custodians or other custodians of the land, managed the resources and so on. So the question I would have then is what are the, some of the qualities that Indigenous Australians have from this culture that gives them comparative advantage in a business marketplace? That's a really good question. I think that... Um when we're often uh, very good at being independent and you know thinking about where we want to go as individuals, we are always connected to each other. Though we don't lose connection to our community, our family, we don't lose sight of other people. So we have a very strong sense of interconnectedness, and that gives us a strength because we. You know, while we might strike out and do all kinds of things as, um, you know, as leaders or, you know, um, doing groundbreaking work and, you know, s- certainly the women on the panel are, are all examples of that. They're women who've really struck out and um, are, are um, you know, groundbreaking in their own fields. But we don't lose sight of the fact that we are connected to a much larger community and I think that gives us a lot of strength. Um, we're not, we, we rarely get isolated. So, you know, I think that, you know, staying connected to community uh, is a real, it's a real advantage for us. We've also survived years, you know, the last just, you know, over 200 years of very difficult times. So we have, we have come from a really strong knowledge of the resilience of our, our family members and our you know our most you know the most recent ancestors those who've lived through colonization we know that we are here by virtue of their struggle so that i don't think there would be you know many aboriginal and torres strait islander people who would not feel the um, that that is a really important part of who we are and and acknowledging that we we have a, a history and a, a legacy 
of real struggle and and resilience um, and innovation and thinking. You know, our people have always thought, how can we make this? How can we, you know, help our families do well in these difficult circumstances? So, that that knowledge of that resilience and that strength is a real um, it's a real advantage, and we share that amongst each other. So we all come, you know, when we meet each other, we know we come with that common uh, shared history. So Those are some of the strongest. Yeah, things. that's that's really interesting. So the way perhaps um, within sort of business or social theory, we would probably. I mean, the language we would use to express that would be that you've got really strong social capital. So that's how economists would describe that web of uh, relationships. Um, social or, uh, or social psychologists would probably describe uh, what you described, uh, talked about there as being resilience or grit is often talked about uh, these days. You talked about being highly innovative. And then the other thing which I thought was also really interesting that you finished on was collaborative. And it would seem they are four really important characteristics mm. to be successful in business. Thanks, David. And the other thing that I listening to you that that and thinking about it that I reflect on as well is that because we come from a culture that is it's it's sometimes a term that is thought of as a you know a bit in a bit of a disparaging way but it is a holistic culture we see the interconnectedness between land water climate stars ancestors we see the world and ourselves as interconnected so we see links between things we see big picture and we see links between things really uh, in, in a natural kind of way, I think. Um, we're all very capable of having great attention to detail and, you know, there's lots of, you know, perfectionists among us. You know, you get a whole bunch of high achievers and they're all going to be, you know, perfectionists to some to some extent. But we also have, I think, a natural, um, from culture, from, you know, cultural heritage of thinking about the interconnectedness and the big picture. So a real Nicole and I would describe that as being systems thinking. Yeah, Is yeah. that how you describe Nicole? Absolutely. Like, and if I think about some of these themes in terms of systems thinking or networks or alliances and collaborative arrangements, um, these are certain themes that we're trying to teach in business schools. And it would seem that these sorts of features potentially come built in. They, they're like they're from first principles in in an Aboriginal business sense. Um, so it, it is a real comparative strength if that's something that kind of is already there from the beginning. It's not something you're then trying to adapt to. I think that's right. I suspect that there's probably a very interesting um, research project in there, or somebody to you know drill down if they haven't already and uh, to really think that through a bit further. But I think that's absolutely true. Mm. Yeah. That, and also this part of that, which you touched on implicitly there, Robin, was the relationship between economic, social, environmental. And I have, you know, to be fair, I have heard you talk about that before. So maybe I was a little peaked um, when you uh, referred to it. But that's something that we're wrestling with in uh sort of more commercial or, you know, perhaps capitalist economies now is how you make these economic, social, environmental uh, trade-offs and make it work as a, a balanced system. And as I said, I've heard you talk about this before, about this being so embedded in Indigenous culture. 
I was lucky to present on a panel during uh, NADOC week, which and the theme of which is Because of Her We Can, which honour honouring Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander women. And I was lucky enough to speak on a panel with Jodie Sizer, who is a Gunditjmara woman from, uh, from Victoria, um, who uh, is one of the co-owners of Pricewaterhouse Consulting's Indigenous uh, Consulting Practice. We call it PIC. And she talked about purpose. She talked about the importance of purpose in the work. And as they, you know, they work in a very commercial environment, but they always reflect on purpose. And I think it's, a, you know, that really important business practice. And I also, as we're talking, am reminded of Dean Jarrett, a Gumbanga man who's here in the business school uh, working with us. Uh, and he talks a lot about the way that reciprocity and Indigenous culture is um, imbued through through Indigenous business. That's a real expertise of his, and he talks about the principle of reciprocity, that we don't just go out thinking only of ourselves, and it's part of the, one of the principles that brings us back to that interconnected uh, and purpose-driven uh, way of thinking, That and that, that bigger picture way of thinking where environment um, and profit um, and all the you know all of those things must come together in in a way that can at least uh, be be balanced or uh, where there's not detriment to one or the other I'm really glad you brought up the theme of night week uh, this year because of her we can because I guess to, to finish off I was wondering if you could help us reflect on what is it that Aboriginal women, bring to business? The, what is their unique strengths that they can bring to business? I think um, Aboriginal women have, again, that strength of resilience, fundamental as men are, um, commitment to community and family. Uh, yeah, I guess I think a real strength of resilience and, and uh, being community-minded. And how is that? Because we, we heard about it on the panel. I mean, this was a theme that, that kept coming up in terms of the, the balancing and the interweaving of family and community with their business, be it the, the places that they worked or the organisations that they that they began. And some might see this, you know, I mean, some might see this as a trade-off and actually something of a hindrance, you know, you're balancing family and work. But I got this sense that perhaps it also was actually an advantage. It was um, something that was actually a point of strength. Uh, did you get that feeling? I did get that feeling, and I think that uh, the women that were on the panel are are typical of the, or you know, they they have in common with other Indigenous women in business a great sense of passion for the purpose, for what they're building, um, for the future, for future generations. Uh, and f for their children, you know, um, for the entire community, really, a real, really strong um, love of what they're doing and a really strong passion for uh, the, the work that they're building and the, and the legacy that, that they'll leave. I think it was really interesting that Mayra recognised um, a theme that comes up amongst my colleagues, which is how do we do all of the things that we want to do and work with the passion that we have and still take care of ourselves. So that's, you know, that's, a, um, I think, a really emerging theme 
uh, among Indigenous business women, business people generally? How do we, you know, do all the things we want to do, take advantage of the opportunity that we have now and the momentum to grow business and drive this sector on behalf of everybody, but not you know, again, as I was saying, I guess so not to our own detriment so that we all end up really tired and worn out. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that, that honesty was really striking. Mm. Yeah. But, and mm. also really powerful. Mm. Yeah. Um, as was the entire event. I thought I, I thought it was fantastic. I mean, I guess that's, a, that's an issue women have been ra- raising for a long time, that we all want to participate in the economy. We want to work to our fullest potential. We have great ideas and, and uh, you know, we're hardworking. But we have a lot of other demands on our time, so we're you know having to um, not be super women. We're having to be you know real people and look after ourselves. That brings us to the close of this episode of Think Business Futures. This show is made by the UTS Business School with the support of Two SER One Hundred Seven Point Three. Our executive producer is Jason Lequier, and Ben Robinson provides additional production support. Thank you so much, Robin, for coming in. We've been. It's just been a thrill to have you in the studio. We'll put links on the show notes for further reading uh, on Robin and the three panellists from the event. Until next time.